Industry Talks is here to bring you the best and brightest in the aviation industry. We will be speaking with industry experts on a wide range of topics, from career successes to career changes. The aviation industry is on the rise, and we're here to help you navigate through these unexpected times. Whether you are entering or re-entering the workforce, this is the pilot podcast that you've been asking for. Joining us for today's episode is Maximilian Berger. Max is founder of AviationFly.com and aviation market intelligence platform AFM.Aero. Max is unique to the show in that he's the first guest we've had who isn't a professional pilot by trade, but instead comes from an engineering and venture capitalist background. During this episode, Max details how he got involved in the industry, offers his thoughts around the impact of COVID on aviation training infrastructure, and what the data is saying around the future availability of pilots in a post-COVID world. What really makes the show a great listen is how Max unpacks the data his team has gathered on the aviation training industry in particular, and what the potential impact of the data may be on the future of airline crew demands, as well as how operators may find themselves needing to adapt to meet their crewing needs in the future. As always, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, joining us today is Maximilian Berger. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel, for the show. Very, uh, it's great to be on the show. I've I've watched a lot of your uh, YouTube videos and also listened in on your podcast. You're doing fantastic work spreading spreading the word and spreading opinions in the aviation industry. I appreciate the support, um, and yeah, it's, it's great to have you on the show. You're quite unique. Um, in that we normally deal with pilots in the South African context in various fields and, and, and you know, they're specialists in, in the fields, but you're completely unique. Um, you're the first person we actually had on the show that isn't, in fact, uh, a pilot. However, you're deeply involved in, in aviation and anyone that's on Instagram, I'm pretty sure, has come across you many, many times. Um, so just to kick off the show, how, what is your, your background and how did you end up involved in, in aviation? Okay. So um, uh, I'm originally German, but uh, I grew up in the Middle East, uh, in Dubai. And uh, since the age of two, I've been uh, flying quite regularly. Um, due to living in the Middle East in Dubai, which is quite connected to a large part of the world. And actually by uh, education, I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer. By uh, my previous profession uh, is more in the finance and investment industry. So uh, I worked uh, for uh, private equity firms, investment banks, and um, I got exposure to the aviation industry uh, starting 2014, 2015, um, I joined a fantastic um, investment organization, uh, which had a portfolio of uh, companies in the aviation training space. And um, uh, so for five and a half years, I got uh, a lot of exposure to uh, flight schools, to simulator training centers, to uh, simulator manufacturers. And uh, 
just had the most amazing learning experience and uh, and interaction with um, a fantastic team, a fantastic number of people. So uh, during those five years, uh, we uh, we together grew um, a pilot training group, which by the time that I left was training over 600 pilots, uh, uh, which had over 600 student pilots, cadet pilots in training. Uh, and it included uh, the second largest MPL program in the world, uh, one of the most successful academies, pilot training academies in the Middle East, and then also the largest uh, pilot training organization in uh, Southeast Asia, located in the Philippines. So over those five and a half years, I got so ingrained into uh, the aviation industry, even though I'm not a pilot. Uh, I have to admit, I've only ever been around like 15 or 20 minutes in a full flight simulator. So I haven't even been in a single engine aircraft yet. And the reason for that also was that due to my background being um, more in the investment and and uh, management side, uh, I always saw if I'm in the training infrastructure, then that is not available for one of our customers. Right? So that, that, that is lost revenue. And then in 2019, I, uh, I left uh, the investment organization because I had family commitments. So I went back into um, another industry, so back into the engineering and water industry, uh, as my family was, my one of our family businesses was going through a transaction uh, where they um, had a new partner come on board, quite a large um a very large uh, investment partner. And then I spent six to nine months outside of the industry. But you know what they say, Daniel, uh, once you catch the aviation bug, like, you know, it, it sticks with you. So there's a lot of people which were um, asking me to, you know, to uh, to work with them again. So uh, at the end of 2019, I said, okay, I want to get some exposure again to this industry, work with the, you know, fantastic, passionate and dedicated and um, uh, joyous people of this industry. So at the end of 2019, I started building um, a team for a technology platform, uh, specifically for the pilot training industry, because I just, you know, I just had the bug. So, you know, I, I needed to come back to the industry. It's kind of interesting. It's, it doesn't matter what field you're in within industry. It's just, there's always something about, I don't know if it's, if, if it's the people or how it all comes together. Um, uh, you know, the sum of all those little parts coming together to, to get those aircraft into the air. It's just it's great to see that it still holds that magic for so many people and not necessarily just pilots, but everyone that's involved in that industry. Yeah. So 2019, you got a team together. You wanted to start an aviation technology platform. Um, tell us a bit more about that platform and what it's grown into today. So um, uh, I say we timed it almost perfectly with COVID, right? I starting out, uh, so I started building the team around November, December 2019 uh, for a platform where we wanted to uh, really address 
um, one of the key issues that that I saw or, or that also I gathered when speaking with uh, individuals. And that was when we look at the globe, 70% of all flight training infrastructure is in developed nations. So um, in 2020, you had uh, around 3,277 flight schools and flying clubs around the world. Um, and 70% of those are in developed nations or, or what is referred to as developed nations. But globally, 87% of the world's population does not live in developed nations. So there is very limited uh, pilot training, flight training infrastructures for those individuals, which is why historically a lot of um, student pilots, cadet pilots or aspiring pilots, right? When they want to become a pilot, they head to these developed nations or these popular places for, uh, for flight training. But uh, what we saw was that not only is 70% of the flight training or pilot training infrastructure in developed nations, and there's very few flight schools or flight training infrastructure in these developing nations, but because there's also no flight schools in those nations or very few, there's also not the digital infrastructure in those countries to share information about how aspiring pilots can go about to become a pilot. And so we wanted to address that. We wanted to build a platform which is going to help people from all across the globe. Uh, but especially we started off with these developing nations by providing them with free information about how they can go about and um, uh, uh, their journey to potentially become a pilot, and so that's when we that's when we uh, that's when I started building a team, and we put together a strategy for a platform called AviationFly.com, uh, with the simple mission of answering two, like of the most basic questions that aspiring pilots around the world have: how to become a pilot and where to potentially become a pilot. And uh, so we started doing this end of 2019, beginning of 2020, and then the pandemic hit. So um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I say we were quite fortunate, quite, uh, quite lucky because we're, we were still a very small team that, um, that it allowed us, you know, it allowed me to make the decision that you know, based on history, no pandemic lasts forever, uh, that, you know, I, I told the team, look, we're going to push through this pandemic together as a team, right? Um, in terms of the data, nothing really changes in terms of where the flight training infrastructure is, um, you know, globally and, and connecting people to that uh, flight training infrastructure. And so right at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, we're going to stick together. We're going to follow our strategy will adjust uh, um, and will adapt slightly, right? Because at the end of the day, we're still, we're still a business. And uh, I can really proudly say that now, uh, one and a half years later, uh, aviationfly.com is, is in a really fantastic position. So we have, um, we get approximately 80,000 views per month uh, on the platform from all over the world. Um, we have uh, uh, over, over 40,000 aspiring pilots which have uh, registered with our website, um, so which 
really, you know, see a lot of great content on it. Um, we have uh, doubled our team size, uh, which is really fantastic. Located, we're located around the around the world, so we're still working quite remotely. And we followed through with our strategy and our vision, and um, we've had quite a few successes. Hasn't been easy, but um, we've we've stuck together as a team. And especially also during that time, I think COVID has allowed us to adapt quite significantly. So over the past one and a half years, we've used any uh, available free resources to help uh, the pilot training uh, community, so the pilot training industry community, so connecting uh, individuals and also pilots who were uh, out of work. So in April 2020, I made the commitment uh, to use my LinkedIn presence to uh, put a spotlight on all the positive things which were happening in this industry because globally the aviation media was flooded with negative news, negative news, negative oh. news. And uh, I made that commitment at uh, April 2020 to just put a spotlight on, on, uh, on the positive things happening within that uh, industry. And uh, uh, I spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours kind of looking for all these positive things happening within the industry and sharing them through uh, my LinkedIn. And um, it seems to have, you know, assisted or, or touched, touched a lot of people. So over the past year, I've now grown to over 15,000 followers, uh, specifically from the pilot training and aviation industry who follow um, who follow the content that I share on LinkedIn, and um, even uh, the reach um, is crazy. So last month I've had like 1.8 million views uh, on the content that I've shared, um, and and we've like I've done it, or the team and I we've done it all from a non-commercial perspective. So really wanted to help the community, uh, take back to the skies, help the industry. And um, so, yeah, our, our our advantage of doing that other than helping people was also it helped us build our brand quite quickly. Yeah. So while a lot of people did not, uh, while a lot of people kind of scaled back the operations in 2020, we actually became, right, we just started off, so we became really active. And it just allowed us to grow our brand a lot quicker than maybe during normal times. Okay, well, I want to touch more on your platform, Aviation Flight specifically. Um, you're getting 80,000 views a month on your website. Me as a prospective pilot, I want to link with some of the training organizations out there. Can you just take us through the customer journey as a prospective flight to linking uh, with someone with a the the right training provider. Yeah, so we started off as a uh, directory of all uh, pilot training organizations, so flight schools and simulator training centers in uh, Asia Pacific, then uh, Middle East, Indian subcontinent, and then Africa. So we had this directory of five hundred plus uh, training organizations. But what we quick, very quickly identified was that a lot of individuals, a lot of aspiring pilots, right, they um, do not necessarily um, immediately look for a specific training organization, right? That's already like quite a, 
quite a bit further down the funnel, um, right? For us, it was, um, let us provide as much information as possible uh, uh, and for free, uh, right at the top of the funnel, right? So right at the beginning, right at the beginning of, of the journey of, of um, aspiring pilots. You know, how old do I need to be to start uh, my pilot training? What are the minimum requirements? What are the educational requirements? What do I need to look out for? So in terms of a uh, in terms of journey, whenever someone, be it from Bhutan or Maldives or Ghana or any of these countries, um, is an aspiring pilot and looks for more information, right? They will use search engine, they will use social media, they will use YouTube, and they will search for, you know, how, how can I become a pilot? And so we spent a year and a half creating content to answer those uh, very basic questions, uh, all for free. So someone, an aspiring pilot, can come to our website, um, can read all of that information. They can go to our YouTube channel, uh, which has also grown tremendously over the past year, and, uh, and find information, which is just going to provide them with that base knowledge in terms of, minimum requirements, what are the different options, what to look out for. And we initially started off as a directory showing all of these different pilot training organizations. Uh, what we've recently done is we've moved away more from the directory because we've seen really that um, aspiring pilots don't necessarily uh, uh, don't necessarily know which organization to go for. So we're more focusing on providing that initial bit of information to give them that base layer of information. And then people, aspiring pilots can contact us. We have a couple of, um, of kind of like, uh, almost like educational counselors, um, which is free as well for aspiring pilots and they can get their questions answered. And usually when they, they send us questions, we direct them to different pages on our website or to our YouTube channel, or uh, just recently as well, we have launched um, uh, a couple of courses. So we have a aviation and pilot training foundation course. We have a math preparation course. Uh, in the next two weeks, we've partnered with uh, a great uh, global organization, very well known in this industry for aviation English and uh, another organization for kind of um, assessment as well. So our key thing is we really want to address or we want to provide as much information as possible to aspiring pilots from anywhere around the globe to just get that base level of information, um, which they can all find now in, in, in one place. Okay, so you're providing all this information to uh, yeah, potential pilots, answering those all important questions. I know when I started out to trying to figure out how the process unfolds, just for myself, it's quite a journey of trying to at least find people that understood it themselves. So do I know a pilot, do I know a friend, do they quite, often they can even answer the questions I had. Um, now, in Along with Aviation Fly, you've also been working on additional projects. And one of the things that you worked on and, and you've launched is AFM.Aero. Yeah. Can you just tell so, us a bit more about AFM.Aero? Yeah. So the past year and a half, um, you know, for us, for AviationFly.com, right, a lot of people will be wondering, okay, what is our business model? Because we're providing all of this information for free to aspiring pilots. How the hell do we... 
earn uh, revenue to cover our cost, you know, to to continue growing. And um, uh, over the past year, right, we've we've experimented uh, with, um, with with different business models. At the moment, uh, uh, what it is, so we provide advertisement space on our website, so flight schools can uh, advertise in our different guides, how to become a pilot guides, and our FAQs. Um, and then also, as I just mentioned, we launched kind of e-learning courses. So from a revenue perspective, right, it has been quite uh, quite challenging just like for everyone in this industry. Um, but um, since we already had so much data, we decided, okay, using all of this data, using all of this knowledge, uh, using this directory that we had of, of all uh, pilot training organizations in these developed nations, uh, let's let's build a second platform. Uh, so um, uh, we've built AFM.Aero, which is a market intelligence platform for the pilot training industry. And uh, it is quite unique because um, it has different features. The first features is really we are an aggregator of all of the different developments happening around the world in the pilot training industry. So be it if it's an airline which is hiring, be it a flight school which is, you know, ordering more aircraft to grow, uh, um, you know, any of these things we're looking to have on our platform to share with uh, the wider pilot training community. And then the second feature of that platform is really over the past year and a half, we have expanded the directory of, of pilot training organizations that we have in our database Whereas right now uh, we have, which is to my knowledge, the most comprehensive global um, database of the pilot training infrastructure. So we have a fantastic overview of what the global pilot training infrastructure looks like. And we're tracking this on a year by year basis. So we can also see what the effect is going to be on COVID on that pilot training infrastructure. So the second platform that we've built is uh, really more focused on the pilot training industry or people which are already within the aviation industry and kind of more interested in that pilot training component. Um, but it follows the same vision and the same, um, sorry, the same mission as Aviation Fly, which is to use a digital infrastructure to better connect the different pilot training uh, industry or aviation ecosystem as stakeholders, um, similar to how aviation has connected the world. Now, that's quite interesting that you actually have that overview of the aviation infrastructure. Now, we understand that the impact of COVID, particularly on, on the end user, i.e. the operator, has been severe internationally. I mean, that's very well reported on. We understand what that is. And having a look at the data that you have available to you, what are you seeing? What is the future of aviation going to look like? Uh, or how is it going to evolve or unfold over the next two years? Yeah. So that's that's really an excellent question. And then uh, Daniel, I think a lot of the attention from kind of the, the general public or the media's perspective is really around the pilot demand, 
right? So over the past year and a half, we've seen um, so many great pilots lose their lose their job, you know, lose their source of income uh, as there were travel restrictions in place, as the airlines had to let so many uh, pilots go, and that is very widely publicized. Um, what um, what uh, we specifically uh, take a look at, and we've taken a look at now over the past um, year and a half, is um, not only the pilot demand side, but the pilot supply side. So looking at the global pilot training infrastructure and how COVID has affected that. Now, because the majority of the global pilot training infrastructure is uh, relatively small players, it is quite difficult to keep a track of what's happening in that part of the industry. So when we look at it from a global perspective, uh, which is something that we've been able to do, so right down from tracking schools and you know what's happening in Canada and US, North America, down to all the way to what's happening in New Zealand, um, we see a number of key trends. Going into the pandemic, 70% of the world's flight training infrastructure has been in developed nations, right? So even before the pandemic, so much of um, the, the flight or pilot training infrastructure was in all these developed nations, where as in, you know, Southeast Asia, Africa, you know, Middle East, Indian subcontinent, you have not that many, not as many flight schools per capita as you have in North America, South Africa, you know, the, the global popular pilot training destinations. And the key thing that we're seeing is that the pandemics had um, a really devastating effect on um, the, the global flight training infrastructure. So uh, to give you um, um, most probably a great uh, example, which has also been heavily publicized, is the reduction of uh, the flight training infrastructure in New Zealand. Before the pandemic, New Zealand was one of the globally most popular places for pilot training. But New Zealand has a relatively small population. So the majority of their pilot training was international students, right? So they were training a lot of Indian students, a lot of Vietnamese students, a lot of students from the whole Southeast Asia region. Now with COVID and with the travel restrictions in place, the schools over there, right, they still had students which enrolled in, let's say, you know, February 2020. But then from March, April 2020, suddenly the borders were closed. So some of the students went back to their home countries, right, to their families. Some stayed and continued the training. But in the case of New Zealand, the borders still remain closed. So you have one and a half years where um, students the, the, the majority of, of, of students in these pilot training organizations has already finished training. The local demand for pilots is relatively small. So what happens to that flight training infrastructure? What happens to all these flight schools? You know, they, they at the end of the day, they are a business, and in most cases, some of them are government-owned. And so what has happened in New Zealand, and this is very widely publicized, people can Google this, is you have a 60 to 70% reduction in flight training infrastructure. So one of the most publicized examples is L3, uh, which is a global um, uh, pilot training group. They had a very large school in, in uh, New Zealand, 
their capacity to train was more than 200 pilots a year. And they've shut, they shut uh, down, I think it was in around January, February this year. And uh, because it's just not sustainable. How can you yeah. keep flight instructors employed, right? If you don't have any students. So in New Zealand, you have 60 to, 60 to 70% reduction in uh, flight training infrastructure. When you, look, when you look at Australia, Australia was one of the most popular uh, places for flight training for Chinese airlines. Right? They had a number of schools training hundreds and hundreds of, of Chinese, uh, new, of new uh, student pilots for China every year. Travel restrictions are in place. What happens to these schools? Hmm. They were all, uh, they all stopped operations. Some of them were uh, sold. Some of them were just shut down. So Australia, you had a huge reduction in, in flight training infrastructure. When we look at Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia, you've got some countries which are still in lockdown. So at the beginning, these countries already didn't have a lot of flight training infrastructure to begin with. And then you add on top of that, the pandemic, right? which has lockdowns, people are not even able to travel within the country. You've got the airlines, which are letting go of all their pilots. So what happens to those schools which are there in the existing countries? Once again, as a business, it's not possible to sustain. So a lot of them close down, but none of this is really publicized because no one does a press release when you know yeah. a flight school shuts down unless they're of significant size because then the media finds out because it has an economic impact. So uh in, in, in so many parts around the world, outside of the US, outside of some of these Western uh, Western nations, you also didn't have the government which kind of stepped in and provided support packages to the private sector. So once again, that's another reason as to why flight schools in so many regions around the world have not only been affected, uh, had not only started off with less training infrastructure than the country needs, but COVID has really not allowed them to run sustainably. And a lot of them, uh, a lot of that uh, training infrastructure has, has shut down. And this is something which is not looked at uh, globally, or I haven't come across it um, really anywhere globally, but this is something which is going to affect the world in a huge way over the next few years because everyone is focused on, okay, when will the airlines recover, right? And the thing is, airlines are so big that they also got a lot of government support, not only in the West, but all, you know, in in, in a large, uh, large number of countries across the world. But once airlines do recover, what about the pilot training infrastructure? Right, because that has significantly reduced. Whereas before the pandemic, maybe globally around the world, twenty to thirty thousand new pilots were trained. Right, you now have maybe training infrastructure which can, which will train maybe half of that. And you might ask the question, okay, but uh, these, you know, once there's the demand, won't these flight schools very quickly, you know, open up again? The thing is, most flight schools around the world. If you look at their profile before the pandemic, quite a few of them or a very large number of them were owned by either airline pilots or retired airline pilots. Now, these individuals were also some of the most affected people in the pandemic because their main source of income was significantly reduced or they've lost it entirely. 
So even coming now out of the pandemic, they do not have the same capital resources, liquidity to necessarily restart operations. And flight schools are very, like, are very, from an investment perspective, relatively small and very complex, high risk, so that the new capital, which is required to start operations again, is very difficult to find. So even once the aviation industry, and we're already seeing this in a number of different regions, does recover, who is going to address the flight training infrastructure? Who's going to address the global pilot training infrastructure? Because that will not recover as quickly and because there's the time lag of training and all of that. So we estimate that we're going to see um, the same kind of supply chain uh, issues uh, that a lot of other uh, industries are seeing now, uh, starting towards the end of 2022, beginning of 2023. A word from our sponsor. Located in the heart of the Sunshine Coast, 43A School is Africa's best and busiest flight school, offering you a wide range of aviation courses, from a private pilot license, airline pilot license, aircraft mechanic courses, and so much more. Visit 43A School at www.43aschool.com to learn more. Our question is, at what point do you think we'll reach that critical mass where demand for pilots is going to outstrip the supply of qualified expertise already on the market? Um, so that is, that is a great question, which has a lot of different factors one needs to look at. So um, what, what, what we do um, through the data that we track and the network that we have, um, we are getting information from a lot of different regions of the world. Um, so uh, a great example when, you know, is looking at uh, the U.S., so the U.S. is most probably, uh, in terms of the, the recovery of their aviation industry, uh, around six, six to nine months ahead of everyone else. They have a strong domestic market um, of travelers. Um, on top of that, they have uh, the pandemic caused um, uh, the airlines to get large um, government support packages. So even when you know they could ramp up, they ramped up quite quickly. A lot of retire, uh, you know, retirement packages for pilots was was given early retirement packages. So, um, what I can share based on the conversations that we have with partners in the U.S. what was that was quite rapid. So at the beginning of the year, the airlines were, um, you know, uh, still um, still telling their their pathway program providers, um, we don't know yet when we're going to take the next pilots, right? There was all this uncertainty. But then vaccinations started, vaccinations rolled out, you know, case COVID cases came down, hospitalizations came down. And then quite quickly, people still wanted to travel. Right? People still wanted to fly uh, to different states to see their family for leisure purposes, um, you know, even business, uh, business travel coming back. And so uh, around February, um, a number of the airlines told um, pilot training providers, mm, we're not sure yet, to suddenly in April when they said, okay, uh, actually we will need uh, each and every one of, of, of your pilots um, to a point where we're at now, where 
uh, airlines in the U.S. are offering very large uh, incentive packages for individuals to become pilots. So that's on the flight training side. On the infra- on the simulator training side, right? The the thing for the airlines in the U.S. was okay. We have all these pilots still, which are let's say on leave of pay or are you know not flying at the moment, but they're still in uh, as, as part of their organization. So over there, it was also okay. How many do we need to um, before Feb- before February, how many do we need to keep our operations, to keep our routes where there's demand operational? And then suddenly, as case number fell, as people wanted to travel, it was, okay, how do we you know, put everyone in back into the simulator? How do we get them current as quickly as possible? Now, the thing is, in the US, the airlines got a lot of government support. So uh, around the beginning of the year, you saw the huge surge in the demand for uh, simulator training. Um, infrastructure and simulated training, which is still ongoing until now. And for the new first officers for the pathway program, it is ramping up on a month by month basis. Now, if we take that same model and we look at it globally in terms of the, to answer the question that you asked, when is that you know point being met between when does the, the, the demand you know um, outstrip the, the supply? Uh, I can only speculate, but the way the conversations that I have with with um, a lot of uh, very senior people within the industry, uh, both at the airlines and at um, uh, um, at the different uh, simulator training centers and training organizations, is right now if you go to an airline and you go to an HR department in a country where let's say the recovery is not really that far. Um, you know, that uh, there's not really that sustained recovery as, let's say, the yeah. U.S. or some other countries. You go to the airline HR department and they will say, we've got 6,000 pilot CVs um, that we're sitting on. Okay. So we we have more applicants than, than uh, we can possibly ever need. But then you go to uh, to another airline in the same country and you ask them the same question and they will tell you, oh, we've got 6,000 CVs. What, you know, we, we are going to be fine for the years to come. Sure. And I'm just taking, and I'm just taking the 6,000 numbers as an arbitrary number. But um, what, what has been seen in, in the, uh, in the U S and uh, the same thing is happening now in the middle East as well is the airlines have realized they're all sitting on the same stack of applicants. So once the recovery does take place, let's say I'm here in the Middle East, one big airline will suddenly, you know, uh, call back, let's say 200, 300 pilots, that stack of, let's say 6,000 applicants, suddenly for everyone becomes smaller by 200, 300 pilots. Then the other airline takes 200, 300. So that stack goes down relatively quickly. And the thing is, once travel restrictions are lifted in a certain region or in a certain country, all the airlines are, you know, want to recover at the, or, you know, at the same speed if they have the, you know, the, the funds and the liquidity and all of that. So very quickly that stack goes down and no one really knows in the industry how many pilots have left this profession. So yeah. if we had a hundred, you know, hundred percent of pilots before, what is it right now and how many uh, it's obviously going to be lower and how many of that lower number are still going to come back. So if, even if now the industry recovers to a hundred percent, is there going to be enough pilots? 
Well, I think we we know the answer to that. People do want to travel. It's a very competitive market, and and there is that pent up post COVID demand. People being locked in one place, one region for so long, they want to escape and get away. So there is that pent up travel demand as well. So if you had to bring all the pilots back today, would there be enough? I couldn't say, but my gut feeling is telling me definitely not. Um, but this is this is um, this is quite a complicated question because. Um, for the past year and a half, I've been sharing as much information as I can to help the community uh, through through my LinkedIn. And um, every time I, I shared something, which is, you know, not for me, but I'm sharing information, which is coming from an airline or an OEM or, you know, from, from uh, let's say, a regulatory body. And it even mentions anything in regards to a pilot shortage. There is a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, uh, pilots out there, unemployed pilots, which are very furious, you know, when, sure. when, when anything is mentioned around the pilot shortage. So I, you know, um, if one was to ask me today, is there enough pilots to meet the requirement to, to meet all of the, uh, to meet the demand of the airlines? Absolutely. There is, mm-hmm. but the thing is, are those enough pilots which have the right qualification that the airline wants and are those also pilots which will accept the new terms and conditions of the airlines so and when t- when looking at both these different factors then depending on the different region of the world we will most probably like s- start seeing a disconnect which is just going to grow the more the um, the more the aviation industry recovers, the more the airlines recover. So it's a, it's a it's a very tricky subject. So I personally believe there are enough pilots out there to fill whatever demand the airlines have. But are do they have the right qualification? Will they accept the terms and the new terms and conditions of a lot of the different airlines? And regionally, right, do they have the right to work in that country and, you know, with the unions and the governments and all of that? That's where big, I think that's where more and more the disconnect starts happening. Let's touch on that. Do you have the right to live in works? You know, something that limits uh, movements of pilots around the world. You had the expertise of Boeing is Boeing no matter where you go. Um, However, if you're sitting in a country with, say, let's say South Africa is an excess of airline pilots right now, um, a lot of people were they go from the previous operators abroad um, in the Middle East or the Asia Pacific region, they've come back home, very experienced, qualified individuals. Um, in a country where there's a, a massive su- surplus of pilots, also the local operators have taken a massive knock. SAAs just resumed operations at a, at a at a fraction of what it was. Um, you know, one or two carriers are still trying to recover from the effects of the pandemic. Um, there's just not enough drops to go around. However, there is a demand elsewhere, particularly the United States. How much of a role do you think the right to live and work is going to play in, in the future of aviation? Are we going to be seeing more opportunities for pilots uh, to be employed in regions where they otherwise previously may not have had access based on their nationality? So I think I want to I want to give two kind of specific examples around this. One being the U.S. and one being the Middle East. Um, 
the, the even before we we touch upon the the ability of individuals to work uh, in those countries, I think it's important to note. Okay, what happened right at the beginning of the pandemic? Right at the beginning of the pandemic, it is usually the expat pilots within an airline which were the first on the list to be let go. So, um, and that's around the world, right? If we're talking about Asia, if we're talking about Middle East, expat pilots were the first ones to be let go. And uh, so a lot of the, the, the pilots which were let go from a specific airline, from a specific country, uh, have gone through this very rapid change uh, um, and maybe negative change as well, and which has you know, affected them quite significantly at the start of the pandemic lost their job, right? Maybe had to leave the country because their their residence in that country um you know was you know was has expired. So that really affects uh, um the mindset already of individuals whether they would want to work in, in a country or in a region again. Um, so that's important to to keep in mind from the beginning of, about what has happened in the pandemic. So now as we come out of it we're starting to see certain countries, uh, the, the U.S. being one of them, having this huge requirement for, uh, huge demand for pilots. Now, you've got in the U.S., um, uh, before the pandemic, the average age of airline pilots was 55 plus. So everyone talks about this huge retirement wave, which is happening in the U.S., mandatory retirement wave. So many people have to leave, have to mandatory re- retire. Now, COVID has accelerated that retirement wave. So a lot of airlines gave early retirement packages, people left the profession. So now as they're ramping up again, okay, they need more pilots again. So the airlines are going to the schools, more pathway programs send us more pilots. Now the schools, suddenly they're having a lot, for them it's a lot more difficult to recruit students because there is less aspiring pilots. And the reason for that is if I'm a young individual, and um, I look at the pilot profession or I look at entering the aviation industry, we're just in, still in this pandemic and we see how unstable this profession has been now in the pandemic. So do I go down this career path where maybe there's another COVID wave or there's another pandemic and I lose my job? Um, so so uh, from, from our network and from the, the, the information that we track, we know from schools that it has become a lot more difficult to enroll the same number of students uh, than previously. So for the airlines, it, it, it's also becoming more difficult to have that secure pipeline of students. So then the next thing is, okay, let's look like for the airline, okay, let's look outside again. Let's look at taking taking pilots, let's say from South Africa or from you know any, any parts of the world. This adds a whole le- another level of complexity because For example, in the U.S., U.S. has very strict immigration policies when it comes to pilots uh, following the events in the early 2000s and all of that. So in the U.S., it is very difficult as an international um, pilot to work there. So they have a few very specific programs. So, for example, for Australian pilots, they have an E3 uh, E3 program. And uh, a couple of the regional uh, airlines in the U.S. are actively hiring uh, Australian pilots at the moment because they just cannot fill their their requirements domestically. Um, But as soon as an airline looks at hiring pilots, which are in other parts of the world, 
it becomes, okay, what is the country's immigration policy? Secondly, that country that they're taking from, how is that country still doing in terms of the pandemic? If it has high COVID infection rates, maybe there's still travel restrictions in place to come to that country. The next le level of complexity is that also, uh, and this doesn't get really talked about very often, is that airlines, I've never seen it written down, but I've heard this from plenty of people, that airlines, when it comes to having large number of international pilots from all over the world, they don't want to make sure, they want to make sure that there is not, there's only a certain number of pilots from a certain nationality, because otherwise, if it's too many people from one nationality, right, it gives them a lot of, um, there's a lot of power when uh, they group together. Uh, and so, once again, I've never really seen this on, on, on black and white, but I've heard from from different sources that that this is um, this is something which uh, airlines you know take into consideration as well. So when we when we look at pilots being able you know having the right to live and work in different countries to get a job again, um, these are all different things to take into account. What I personally think is going to happen now in in, in twenty twenty two onwards is that in a lot of countries, uh, a lot of airlines will go through their CV stack. Uh, and we personally estimate this to take all of 2022, right? So they will rehire whoever is already in their CV stack who maybe they had previously, who is accepting the terms and conditions. And then following that, I think uh, airlines, especially in, in countries which are further along the recovery, if they cannot source enough pilots locally, are going to go to the countries where the pandemic has been ravaging for longer, and they're going to start extracting pilots from there. But how all of that plays into effect with right to work and immigration, you know, most of the time a country's immigration policy is, you know, is completely separate from what the demands are from an airline. Right, it's they're looking at it from a much wider angle, so it's it's going to be very very interesting. I think the key thing I really want to recommend to to anyone listening is over the you know during this pandemic, I've really seen the advantage of uh, information and of the sharing of information in this industry. Uh, one absolutely great source for this is LinkedIn. So. For any pilots which are out there, for any individuals in, in the aviation industry, to um, to utilize LinkedIn and to utilize um, uh, these available online resources as much as possible to find opportunities to see okay what are the different dynamics in different countries because it just provides uh, those individuals which with a much better overview of what's happening in the industry um, rather than, you know, sending, sending CVs to, to a specific airline, because you never know opportunities might crop up in, in a country one is never expecting. So uh, as a, as a interesting example is Vietnam, Vietnam has continued to hire uh, foreign pilots uh, even uh, when they're in lockdown right now, simply because their domestic pilot training infrastructure is just not there, is just not developed to support the requirements of operators.
Based on the data that you've seen, you mentioned uh, Vietnam still hiring. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the growth in the Asia Pacific region in the coming years. There's going to be a great demand uh, for pilots, well, for a great demand for people to travel and a great demand for pilots. Now, as you mentioned, Australia had a massive training capacity supplying pilots to that region specifically. As SPAC pilots looking to re-enter the market, where do you envision the greatest demand for expat pilots would be? What specific region are you seeing as having the, the greatest amount of growth? So um, I think Asia Pacific is not going to come back as quickly as uh, as other regions of the world because the vaccination rollouts are slower. Um, lockdowns there have been longer. Um, so Asia Pacific is definitely going to take um quite a bit of time to come back. But once it does come back, because there's uh, not enough local uh, training infrastructure in a lot of different countries, uh, there's going to be the need for expat pilots. For 2022, and this is just my personal prediction, and um, I also have to mention that I am based in Dubai, so my main residence is in Dubai, in the UAE. So maybe this will also come across as, as maybe more biased due to a lot of the data that I get being from where I am located. But if we look at it historically, be it South African pilots or be it um, uh, be it international pilots, right? The Middle East has always been a strong, uh, and I don't know how to utilize, maybe strong is maybe not the right word to use, but the Middle East carriers and operators have, have, always had a dependence on uh, expat pilots on international pilots because the pilot training infrastructure also in these countries does not you know meet the requirements yet or meet the growth of um, of uh, the operators here I think for 2022 uh, the US is going to have a huge demand for pilots um, but unfortunately the or fortunately or unfortunately the immigration policies over there are going to make it fairly difficult for international pilots to find uh, roles or jobs there. Europe uh, is quite interesting. Um, the recovery there is going to be slower than in the US and the European training infrastructure kind of supply of new first officers remains relatively strong there where a lot of government support packages for pilots, for training organizations, for airlines. So there's not going to, there, there, there wasn't as big of a shock, right, as, as in, in other regions of the world. So also in Europe, I think it's going to be a bit complex for international pilots to find, to, to get the right to live and work there and, and, and work for operators. Um, uh, and then moving across, uh, for example, we've got then the Middle East, Indian subcontinent, uh, Asia Pacific, China, uh, um, Australia, New Zealand, Africa. When looking at those regions, and then we've got LATAM as well. So LATAM is yeah. also very interesting to look at. I don't know too much. Uh, I know I have some data on it, but I know that LATAM is going to be a key growth market um, uh, in the next decade similar to the African continent, but the immediate requirement for pilots based on existing fleets that are already there, but which are parked, I personally believe uh, is going to come from uh, the Middle East region. Uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, is uh, is um, 
is a country where they have the vision, uh, uh, Saudi Vision 2030. Uh, aviation is one of the top three um, sector priority sectors. The airline, the different airlines have a lot of aircraft coming in. Uh, how much of that can be staffed by the by the local market will remain to be seen. Uh, you've got Qatar Airways, uh, right, which has also got a huge order book. Uh, you've got. Uh, the UAE carriers, Emirates, uh, Fly Dubai, Air Arabia, Etihad, uh, which are all ramping up. Um, so with them, I see uh, more of a requirement already coming in 2022. Just so you know, just so that everyone who's listening uh, knows, the Middle East carriers, they've kind of looked at what happened in the US. And even though they most probably have very huge stacks of CVs. You've got Middle Eastern airlines such as Emirates, where already on their website, they have um, they have listed that if you are a pilot and if you're looking to, for work, you can register with them, right? So they've moved from we're not hiring to yeah. please register your interest. And um, um, if we look at some of the public um, publicly available or publicly announced information, Emirates is already back hiring 3,000 cabin crew, right? So as they're, and that's excellent, right? And as, so as they're staffing up, you know, cabin crew and all of these other roles, for sure, they're also staffing up pilots. Now then for, for the next six, six to nine months, right, they have all of their pilots that they previously had. They're going to check, do you want to come back? You want to come work for us. Once you go through that, now they've already, since a couple of months, put this register your interest um, so people can submit the application. And maybe this is also quite unique to the Middle East, but vaccination rates have been extremely high. So here in the UAE, 100% of the eligible population is vaccinated. Uh, you've got extremely low uh, number of cases. The majority of the traffic, air traffic uh, or air travel is international. It's coming back extremely strong. And their local pilot training infrastructure just is not big enough to supply them with enough first officers to meet that uh, that growth in, in the aviation industry. But I think when so so middle east is definitely a region i i would take a look at india is going to be quite exciting as well but over there you have a bit you know immigration uh policies and preference for indian nationals um the 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 key thing also for anyone listening and this is a very tricky subject is how to stay current or you know how to keep um the skills refreshed now i have to you know say right like i said at the beginning i'm not a pilot so you know my my level of of technical expertise is more focused on uh what's happening in the industry trends you know uh, size of the industry rather than the, the training or technical things but um what what uh what i've seen is that um there is uh, a huge interest um uh, from operators and from pilots um to keep pilots current, to keep their skills current. So, they, you know, they can be reactivated uh, quite quickly. And uh, um, a key, you know, a key advantage that I see for that, which is being heavily utilized with some with some operators, some academies, is uh, FTDs, fixed-based simulators, because mm. it just allows airlines or individuals 
to utilize very advanced training equipment for a much lower cost than utilizing a full flight simulator, right? And I, I hope and I think we're going to see an increased adoption of this in, in 2022, um, not only to keep pilots current, but also, you know, um, to to keep their confidence level high in terms of the skills, you know, and in terms of providing them with, with uh, training equipment for something that, that they love to do. And um, some countries even have, have uh, supported um, this, this type of training. So for example, in the UK, the UK government provides uh, funding uh, for pilots to utilize such training equipment to keep their license current, to keep uh, their, their skills refreshed. Uh, Australia is just, the Australian government is just uh, currently discussing this. Um, so the industry is pushing for, I think it's a 10 million Australian dollar package uh, specifically targeted for the pilot community so that they can use training equipment you know, to, to hone their skills, to refresh their skills. And I really hope that, you know, more, more countries, uh, more countries, more governments will, will, uh, will help individuals and the, and the industry with this. And that, you know, uh, that training organizations, um, you know, also work together with the pilot community to, to, uh, you know, for, for them to hone their skills. What I've really seen is what happened here in the Middle East, and the same thing happened in the U.S. back in April, was that it, it was almost like a switch. When suddenly cases started dropping dramatically, COVID cases, and then suddenly everyone wanted to ramp up again, everyone wanted to travel the moment that there are no travel restrictions. There's a lot of people which want to fly, not only domestically, but internationally. And then suddenly the airlines need their pilots you know, it's so it's more reactive rather than proactive. So, um, so having so having pilots which which have licenses which are current, which are you know confident in their skills to go for one of these check rides with the airlines, is is really so critical and and really a key uh, key devices which I see which are going to be beneficial for this in 2022 are uh, FTD simulators. And I know Daniel, I think you have you have a couple of them, right? Yeah, uh, we do have uh, 320 and 70 fixed base devices. Um, yeah, and you know, funny enough, you say that we've, we have had a lot of interest as well. People wanting to do just that, just to keep their skills current or to have a proficiency check coming up with an or, or a check with an operator. They want to own their skill. They're using it for, for precisely that. Um, you know, license, uh, license renewals as well. It's just, it's, you quite rightly said it's far more affordable on a, on a fixed device than it is on a full motion device, um, and a far more readily accessible, I suppose, is, is the uh, the big difference there. But yeah, absolutely, I can see definitely a demand if what we've discussed unfolds the way it should. There'll be a, a very big demand from the operators, and you know those kinds of resources are perfect to to help pilots achieve just that. Yeah, and 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 I think if the pilot community in different countries and come together and kind of take the playbook that the UK has and that the Australia is currently discussing and then go to the government, right? Like let's say the pilot community together with the, the training academies, which have the equipment, right? Maybe the operator, right? They group together, they go to the government and they say, look, this is what the UK has done. 
this is what Australia has done. This is what all these different countries have done, but I'm giving these two as, as great examples to then get the government to support this, um, the cost component of this. I think that would be uh, absolutely fantastic. And it's so critical for the, not only recovery of the aviation industry, but the aviation industry is so important and so critical for the wider economic uh, performance of a country. So, um, so yeah, if, if, if anyone is interested, these two countries are ones that immediately come to mind, but I know more countries have uh, specifically uh, implemented where the government has, you know, put funding available for the pilot community to uh, refresh and hone their skills. Yeah, it's a great initiative. And I'm pretty sure one or two, it might have crossed one or two people's minds, but it's, no one's really speaking about it. But a oh, great initiative, no matter where you are in the world, really, to just get everyone together because... The demand is increasing, and you're quite right. A large portion of the economy depends on air travel, uh, not just in, in terms of tourism, business, business travel, but also, uh, as we've seen with the pandemic, uh, freight, the movement of freight internationally. It's, it's critical to, to country's economic stability. But, Max, I just want to say thanks very much for being on the show and sharing your insights and the data that, you, that you've gathered and uh, spreading a good message uh, of hope uh, as to what the future holds for us. We hope the worst is behind us. By the, the looks of things, it seems that that may actually be the case. Thanks very much for taking the time out uh, to, to chat to us there. You're listening to PTC Industry Talks. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be bringing you new episodes weekly.